which allows me to introduce our first speaker, Sam Fiorenza. Sam escaped from Brisbane to cultivate a collection of skinny black jeans, while as a hobby completing medicine and a PhD in immunology. Saving the world is in his five-year plan. Sam. Thanks, Aaron, and thanks for having me here. Um, it's appropriate you mentioned Plato, because that's where I want to start, actually. So, in his symposium, Plato tells the story of Socrates, who set up a dialogue at a dinner party with his most esteemed intellectual friends to pretty much get sozzled and discuss the deeper philosophy of love. Aristophanes, a friend of Socrates and comedic playwright, is called upon to speak. And Aristophanes begins by describing love as a curse from Zeus. He tells us that before humans took the form that they do today, they were these giant beasts with two heads facing in opposite directions, four arms and four legs. And it was there they roamed the earth, resplendent in their self-importance, with great hearts, incredible speed and massive strength. So convinced by their eminence, they in, fact, they in fact planned a coup against the gods. Zeus, outraged by this, sends a lightning bolt down to earth and splits the creatures in twain, leaving them with only one head, two legs and two arms. In a cruel performance of what I can only call well, cruel omnipotence, he twists their heads around so that they can look upon themselves and contemplate what they have lost. Aristophanes tells us that these half-creatures are then destined to roam the earth, unfulfilled, until they come across their other half, and in doing so, pay construct to the homage of love. What Aristophanes is describing in this tale has been an obsession of humanity and Hollywood ever since, and that's true love. Tonight I'm going to tell you a story about true love, immunology and putting Melbourne on the map, well at least the uh, immunological map at least. And this is also a story about competing ideas for truth that start in the early 20th century and ends proposing to you that this theory of love and immunology has powerfully real applications and applications that were in fact envisaged by its creators. But as any keen follower of Downton Abbey and early 20th century drama knows, uh, every good story of love begins with war. The immune system is the war machine. Its primary job is to attack all bad bugs out there and keep you safe from getting sick. And it does so through this horrendously bigoted system of sorting out self from non-self. You see, your body and everyone around you and the millions of life forms out there are pretty much composed of proteins. And proteins are the molecular workhorses of organisms. And proteins from each organism are composed of a specific set of building blocks. So the job of the immune system is to sort out the sequence of these proteins and identify self from non-self. Self, boring, self, boring, self, uninterested, non-self. Aha, that's something I can attack. And so a couple of biochemical clogs tick over and, and all of a sudden, all-out immune attack begins. And part of this attack includes antibodies, which are like the cruise missiles of the immune system that are themselves proteins designed to stick to the proteins on bugs and in doing so, preventing them from causing disease. So by the end of the 19th century, it was apparent, three things were apparent. Firstly, Pasteur and Koch told us that bugs existed. Secondly, Lister told us it's probably a wise idea to wash your hands going from the morgue to the birthing suite. <laughs> and finally, we were beginning to realise that the immune system was our own form of antisepsis. It was this system that railed against bugs and had an anti-serum that was in effect antibodies that after, after exposure to a particular bug grew rapidly in number 
and could exquisitely recognize that bug and no other bug. So the question became this, how can you make a specific antibody for a specific bug that the immune system has never seen before? Paul Ehrlich, a German physician, the granddaddy of chemotherapy and one of my personal heroes, proposed that cells have side chains, like a dye has a side chain. And these side chains bind the bug. And when they bind the bug, the cell grows more side chains, the side chains drop off and become antibodies in your blood. This theory remained unchanged until Linus Pauling in the 1940s, Pauling being the only person I know to hold both a Nobel Peace Prize and a Nobel Prize for Chemistry, called what I like to call the cognitive dissonance model of love and antibodies, or something like the, yeah, I married him just because I got used to him theory. <laughs> in this theory, the proteins on the bug binds to the antibody, which is a, and the protein itself acts as a template. And sorry, the antibody acts as a template. This template then alters itself to suit the proteins on the bug. In doing so, make more antibodies and neutralize the bug. Realizing that a, Antibodies are not sentient beings that can adapt themselves. A Danish immunologist called Niels Jern proposed a different theory. At that time in the 1950s, it was quickly becoming apparent that the same immune system that attacked bugs was also the same immune system that was responsible for disfiguring diseases like rheumatoid arthritis and fatal diseases like type 1 diabetes. And there had to be a link. Jern proposed what I would like to call the we just got married to have kids theory. Jern's selectionist theory said that the body already had a complete repertoire of antibodies that could bind to any protein. And when any particular bug or protein of that bug comes into contact with these antibodies, they magically self-replicate and then go out there, find more bugs and kill them. Jern was getting it right by this point, but only in parts. By this time, which was the 1950s, a reticent Taralgon boy from the land of milk and honey, Gippsland, was making waves in the medical community. Frank McFarlane Burnett was born to a bank manager and was one of seven children. His shy, retiring nature meant by the time he joined medical school in the 1920s, he was told not to pursue a career in neurology, which he loved, but rather to look into pathology, something that had less people involvement. Burnett was pioneering in medical sciences even before his contributions to immunology. In fact, he was well known by the 1950s for being able to grow viruses in culture, something that very few people in the world could do. So by 1957, Mac Burnett, as he came to be known to distinguish himself from his father, was 58 years old and was head of the Walter and Eliza Hall Institute of Medical Research, which is just down the road from here. Interested in how the antibodies were derived, he realised that Jern's selectionist theory was rubbish, and because an antibody could not self-replicate, because it was a protein, he set about finding a different answer. So I'm going to have to do a bit of interpretive dance to explain Burnett's theory to you. Um, so it, go it goes something like this. So imagine I'm a bacteria and I'm in the human body and I've come through a cut in the skin. And because of all the inflammation and whatnot going around, I end up finding my way and flowing into the lymph node. And as I flow into the lymph node, I go in there and I've got this protein out here and I'm a bug with a protein. And all you guys are in the lymph node and you're all the cells within the lymph node. And yet, out of all the cells in the lymph node, I manage to find one, and one in particular, out of all of them, who binds to my protein. There we go. That's my girlfriend. Um, <laughs> these cells, or these group of cells, are called B cells. And what Burnett was proposing was a theory where there is one B cell made for one protein. In effect, what he was proposing was true love. 
So outlandish was the idea that there was this one cell, or rather a clone of cells, made for one protein, that Mac Burnett squirreled away his ideas in an obscure journal, the lesser-known Australian Journal of Science, which I'm sure to publish in one day. As he says, it was an attempt to eat one's cake and have it. If perished the thought that there was something very wrong about the clonal selection theory, which is what it became to be known, the publication in an out-of-the-way Australian journal would mean that very few people in America or England would see it. How very wrong he was. Burnett goes on only a very short three years later to win the Nobel Prize for his contributions to immunology. So think about it. Here you have a B cell that interacts with one part of a bacteria, specifically a piece of protein that it has never seen before. And this is where the impossibility of Burnett's theory actually becomes an astounding reality. How does this actually happen? The answer would come from Melbourne's own Sir Gustav Nossel, amongst other researchers. So just to summarise again, an antibody is a protein, and the code that makes up that protein comes from our genes, or our DNA. So what a B cell does in its own development is it cuts up its own DNA. Snip, 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 cut, 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 and pieces it all back together. In fact, each B cell does it randomly and individually, making completely unique genes and completely unique proteins that can therefore bind to completely unique other proteins. And so this is where autoimmune disease comes in. If B cells are able to bind any protein, make antibodies and attack those proteins, and we ourselves are made of proteins, why don't we attack ourselves? So it's in the bone marrow that B cells undergo a process of schooling. They're exposed to every possible protein in the human body. And any of those cells that happen to make antibodies that bind to self-proteins are killed off. And what you're left with is antibodies that bind to non-self. So in effect, the bone marrow is selecting for true love somewhere out there in the universe. I want to leave you with a thought tonight, and that is I've talked about B cells, but there are these equally cool T cells out there called T cells, in fact, they're my favourite cells, who are in fact the fighter jets of the immune armamentarium. They go out and find virally infected cells and kill those cells. And like B cells, they randomly snip, snip, snip and cut up their own DNA and make receptors specific for a protein that they've never seen before in their whole entire life. So I put this question to you. If T cells like B cells are able to recognise non-self proteins and cancer is just a cell with a whole bunch of non-self mutated proteins, is it not conceivable to use our own defence system, our own immune system, to fight cancer? This provocative idea of a magic bullet for curing cancer is one that might seem grounded in the future but in fact was one proposed by Paul Ehrlich 100 years ago and refined by Mac Burnett himself only 50 years after that. So if you want to hear more about this story, I uh, urge you to read my PhD thesis. <laughs> or keep supporting Labora's story, and you might hear the rest of it sometime later in the year. Thank you.